And this is Feminist Buzzkills, the show that took a vote and unanimously agreed our favorite deadly sin is pride. As always, I'm with my co-host Moji Olodiel and Marie Khan. Moj, tell the people what we have in store for them. Hello, earhole friends. In this episode, we will be examining the age-old anti-abortion adage, if you can't beat them, scare them by telling them there's abortion in the water, in Doritos, and it just gets weirder from there. Yep, just when you think you've heard it all, we found abortion stories that are nextest of levels. What else, Marie? It's Pride Month, and fighting for our queer liberation means centering incredible queer icons. Joining us today, we've got V Spear from Under the Desk News, breaking down an absolutely terrifying abortion story. From the hit series Somebody Somewhere, comedian and actor Jeff Hiller, and some of the best activists in the game, Safi and Henny from New York City for Abortion Rights. But before we dive into all that, we wanted to plug some shows that are coming up. June 24th marks the anniversary of the Dobbs decision, which overturned Roe v. Wade. We're going to be doing a very special Buzzkills episode looking at all the damage a year without Roe has done. Our guests are going to be abortion provider Amy Hegstra Miller, who has challenged almost every one of these bans and has been to the Supreme Court three times fighting them. Plus, Allison Kaufman, director of Amplify Georgia, is going to be here to talk about the importance of coalition building, especially in states like Georgia, where abortion access is hanging on by a thread. Also, we're going to have a live show next month in the ATL on July 20th at Terminal West in Midtown Atlanta. Of course, we'll bring all our rage, our humor, and we'll have inspiring local abortion providers and activists. And we'll top it off with comedian and actor Baron Vaughn from the Netflix series Grace and Frankie. Ticket link is in our show notes. So come out and see us, Peachtree people. So if you're listening and you're like, wait a minute, you're supposed to have an audience. People are supposed to be cheering. Mm -hmm. Well, they're fucking not. Because this fire from Canada has gotten so bad in New York City. I don't know if you've been watching the news, but they're saying stay indoors. You can't breathe. You have to wear a mask in your house. So we had to cancel our live show. Yeah, it kind of sucks because I was fully looking forward to seeing everyone. But seriously, I took a stroll to get some wine and I rushed right back into my home. It's weird because also in a time, I mean, I don't feel like COVID's over, even though I know they've stopped mailing the tests out to people now. To be told, no, you must stay indoors and like, don't go out, don't go open air. All those types of things that we're excited to do now because it's summer, sucks. And I'm sure there'll be some asshole being like, here's the government trying to infringe on your freedom. It's like, no, you only have two sets of, you have a set of lungs. Yeah, just one. <laughs> it's, just, it's actually one set? Yeah, <laughs> you have one set of lungs. The spare set is really expensive. I'm kind of waiting for the hoax conspiracy theories about what's happening, you know, uh, around like what the fires really are. It's really not trees from canada right it's really they're burning they're you know they're, they're doing? burning fetuses yeah oh yeah they're burning fetuses Absolutely. which we're gonna get to a minute and <laughs> and they're burning the contents of hunter biden's laptop oh they're printing it out and then they're lighting it on fire <laughs> and that is smoking up all of new york because uh, yeah <laughs> because the reasons because <laughs> that <laughs> if that wasn't sad enough the other sad fact is after 
two years of doing this wonderful podcast with this three-headed hydra. One of our headed hydras is going to be peeling off as a permanent host because she is doing so much work helping folks get the care they need that she doesn't have time to sit with us every week. Marie is going to do greater things if there could be. Yes, there there are no greater things. And um, holding this against her personally. <laughs> I know. Until I'm going to bring Moji again. That is the thing. Um, I'll have to, I'll be able to focus more time and attention to like travel stuff associated with working at Midwest Access Coalition. And there's nothing that I know Moji loves more than like a gift when you return from a trip. So it's true. So Marie, two things I want to I want to talk about in your departure. One, I just want to say that you are a treasure and a delight and have brought so much wisdom and have taught me so much just about the way that we should be centering and talking about patients who are trying to access care when um, resources aren't available to them because of white supremacy and because of patriarchy and because of so much stuff. So your knowledge is going to be solely missed. But I, I, I wonder if you could tell folks just a little bit about like how your work is expanding and what you'll be doing and where they can look for you and find you. Yes. So I'm with Midwest Access Coalition, a practical support fund out of the Midwest. And I specifically am our director of programs, so I want to expand that to include, A, um, more opportunities for folks to get to support abortion clinics, because we see those in the Midwest, right? And sometimes folks don't realize, oh, hey, I can reach out to like other broader networks. So I want to be more of a connector in the capacities that I'm in. But then also... I want to harness um, op- options and uh, resources and materials that we can get available to abortion seekers, to young folks, to folks with uteruses. Because working in practical support, I've seen like the importance of don't give someone a gift certificate, don't give someone a voucher that's only available to a certain store. Instead, be there for them and get them connected to what they actually need. And for a lot of folks, that's emergency contraception, that's period products, that is um, other types of basic essentials. And we're seeing more and more that more people are going without these while, and then, Hey, let's make this New York specific. We have a fucking mayor here that, that thinks right to shelter isn't a right anymore. So thinking about that kind of big picture, while I'm looking at this from an abortion perspective, those are areas programmatically I want to expand in more, more physical materials that we can get to pregnant people, young people, folks who just want to live their reproductive lives and have freedom. And that includes, I wanted to shout out one of my coworkers, Walker, they in particular, and they are someone that I know AAF, um, that the buzzkills are going to be syncing up with. And one of the initiatives they're working on are vending machines to have emergency contraception in. So I'm so grateful to be with you all, but I'm really excited about um, what we're going to be able to accomplish in the future, being out and about in different parts of the streets. Well, I'll miss you terribly, but I know the gifts will keep coming and obviously you're going to stay on Slack and I'm going to be gossiping with you minute to minute. You have been the work wife I didn't know I wanted. (laughs) Oh, that is so sweet. Well, Marie, we'll hope you make an appearance here and there. Come back when something's important, especially um, when you need to amplify some of the incredible programmatic work that we know you're going to be doing. And hopefully we can be connecting Uh, with Operation Save Abortion and you and really making sure that like all of this intersectional work 
continues. So thank you, love. We're going to miss you. So uh, we still have this show to finish though. So like she's not gone yet. So we're going to miss Marie, but we got to get going, right? We got big doings that happened this week in the abortosphere. And so it's that time where we turn it over to Alyssa with the big steaming news dump. Hey, Alyssa, take it away. Hey, everybody. Marie, who is going to slack me the most unhinged shit? when you are not around <laughs> as much. I'm really hoping they don't take my Slack access away. We, I could crowdfund for that. It's like 14 a month or something. It's, it's doable. I'm going to need that. I think we can make that happen, Marie. <laughs> uh, well, thanks so much for bringing me back and break out the poopery because this shit stinks. All right. First up, Florida Supreme Court Justice Charles Kennedy has not recused himself from reviewing Florida's six-week ban, despite the fact that the ban was co-sponsored by his actual wife, okay? Um, when asked for a comment, he said, oh no, it's not a conflict of interest because I can barely hear her from the other end of our comically long dining table. <laughs> and it is fetal personhood gone wild over in Wisconsin where conservative lawmakers are trying to dress up their zombie abortion ban from 1840-9 to make it more appealing by offering a $1,000 tax credit for, quote, unborn children for whom a fetal heartbeat has been detected. It's rumored they're thinking about throwing in some cheese curds and stained Brett Favre jerseys if you manage to survive your pregnancy, but jury's still out if they have the budget for that one. And finally, we head all the way over to Kansas where Planned Parenthood has sued to block a new law that requires healthcare providers to tell patients that medication abortion can be reversed. Now, we're gonna say this just once, unless someone shows you a literal time machine, any abortion reversal you hear about is from a science fiction universe where everything is bullshit. <laughs> That's all for me. This has been your steaming pile of news. Back to you. Abortion reversal is just so unserious. <laughs> yeah, right. I feel like if we're going to be making shit up, I'm going to start telling people that um, the new season of The Queer Ultimatum will cure your cult. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Thanks, Alyssa. Thanks, everyone. That abortion reversal story is the perfect way to lead into our first BS story because Abortion reversal is one of the first OG conspiracy theories that these anti-abortion kooks have come up with. And we decided to just do a deep dive into the latest one and also some really historically bizarro shit. Moj? Oh my God. We love following the anti-abortion trends that test the boundaries of reality. They are continuing to lose the hearts and minds of America with their sadistic cruelty. So they've resorted to grossing people out I mean, it's true. Uh, and Marie's going to kick us off with the latest inexplicable claim. Imagine this billboard, abortion pills in the water. Well, Students for Life, a group of largely white lady killjoys who infest college campuses, slut shaming and dropping anti-abortion conspiracy theories, would have you believe this. Their latest public stunt is trying to scare people into believing that the FDA failed to conduct a water-based assessment when they approved abortion pills in 2000. They claim that an increasing number of people using abortion pills to terminate pregnancies are flushing fetal remains and medication at alarming rates, thus contaminating the water supply and contaminating the environment. I've never felt prouder to be a well water septic tank child. Also, first off, can we acknowledge that it would be the EPA, presumably not the <laughs> FDA who conducts water studies? <laughs> That's just that just seems like a lot of responsibility. I've also got to assume that maybe perhaps the EPA has bigger actual problems. Again, to reference the wildfires just north of us that are kicking off. Word. <laughs> and also, if that's not enough, Politic Fact did an exhaustive deep dive 
into these claims and even quoted to the EPA as saying, <laughs> even the most prescribed medications are used by less than 10% of the population and only a fraction of a dose is excreted in someone's urine. Oh my gosh. Also a water infrastructure researcher with the University of California, Berkeley, basically shut it down. She was like, uh, I can confidently say that raising children has a way more effect on the sewer system in terms of bodily fluids, tissues, <laughs> laundry detergents, and other household chemicals and the occasional Batman figurine down the toilet <laughs> than deciding not to have children, which word. Where are these people's outrage on actual water crises as well? Like building pipelines on sovereign indigenous land, Flint that still doesn't have clean water, fracking when actual fire is pouring out of faucets. Also, why are men just walking around with uh, boners from Viagra water, which is a lot more popular than the abortion pill? Right. Uh, we could have used some of that abortion water to put out these Canadian fires that stopped our live show. <laughs> I mean, here's the thing. It makes me worry that they don't understand water systems. We, we designed water systems to filter this crap. And so do they not have knowledge of how to safely interact with various waters? I mean, that's what it sounds like to me. It's like, do you have your period and then go... I, I know nowhere else to turn to quench my thirst. I must look in the toilet. Like, what is wrong with them? Like, honestly, I just feel like they're, they have, they have no capacities. They're like a lost group of people that have never seen systems of water. It's so stupid. It's like they don't understand how plumbing works. <laughs> Apparently, abortions aren't just in the water. They are also in our food. That's right. Um, so careful what you eat, apparently, also. So to to make this story sing for you, I must take you back to 2012 for just a sec. Mm, the Halcyon days. I know the Halcyon days of 2012, when Mitt Romney was our biggest problem. So food companies, they wanted to find a way to become more accurate in flavoring foods. If you don't know this, when flavors are added to foods at every step, Companies use actual human professional food testers who detect the levels of sweetness and heat and stuff. So humans do a pretty good job, but each person is different, right? Has actual different taste buds. So scientists created an artificial taste receptor so that as companies add flavors to anything they're making, the artificial receptor can taste the moment that that flavor starts showing up in the food and then they can adjust accordingly. So in order to do this, a biotech company used like a DNA line from an aborted fetus from the 1970s. And that turned into Pepsi is putting fetuses in all of their food and their drinks and your Doritos and Rice-A-Roni and Mountain Dew and gummy bears and all the things we eat. And it was wild that it went so crazy. And the number one source of this rumor, you ask, more like the only source was a totally peer-reviewed study on the totally gold standard of biotech research, the Children of God for Life website. Uh, hmm, sounds very, very legit. Yeah. Their website notes every time we eat any of the food sources listed below and any time we eat the flesh and blood of another sentient being, we are participating in a satanic ritual. It's time to say no. 
by never purchasing products made with dead babies again. Now I am a vegetarian, pescatarian, like maybe <laughs> once or twice a week. And I can confidently say this, these two things are not the same. Oh my God, no. Uh, the FDA actually repeatedly stated like there are no fetuses or fetus additives or foods derived from beta research in the food supply. But this did not stop one state Senator, Ralph Shorty, who believed the Children of God website. Instead, he was very upset and proposed legislation that said no person or entity shall manufacture or knowingly sell food or any other product intended for human consumption, which contains aborted fetuses. Ralph Shorty, a grateful nation, salutes you. So Ralph Shorty was elected three times because apparently being a champion for banning fetal ingredients was the flex constituents we're here for. Quite frankly, I'm here for it. You know what? But it isn't true. And sadly, Ralph Shorty's career ended in 2017 when the law intervened not because of uh, fetuses in the food, but because he started a 15-year prison term for soliciting underage boys for sex on Craigslist, which coincidentally was probably his secondary source about fetuses being in food. Yikes. Cut to 2023, and here's where the story takes a taxpayer-funded turn. In March, Texas passed a law requiring that food that has fetuses has to be labeled. So legislative time and money was spent on this absurd fear-mongering warning no food has fetuses, y'all. You know what I love is that, like, at least wackadoodle Ralph Shorty was like, we shouldn't have fetuses in food. Texas is like, we should just label it. <laughs> Don't ban it. But let's just let people know. Why is this just happening? Does Texas think FDA stands for the Fetuses Are Delicious Association? Clearly. Yes. <laughs> and who is this for? Is it for people who are desperately wanting to eat some fetuses, but like it's not on the label, so they're disappointed? <laughs> you know, or, or fetusarians? Here's my theory. It's for people with fetus allergies who are like, you know, you don't want to go to a restaurant and be like, um, you said there wasn't any fetuses in here and I don't have my EpiPen. <laughs> <laughs> okay, all right, all right, Liz. In the interest of time, we have to stop talking about fetus in the food uh, because it turns out antis are pushing something weirder. Listen to this. Human persons from their earliest days, poisoned in the womb and dismembered, torn limb from limb. Bodies thrown in medical waste bins and in places like Washington, D.C., burned to power the lights of the city's homes and streets. Oh, my God. That was Catherine Glenn Foster speaking before Congress in her role as president and CEO of Americans United for Life, which is a powerful D.C. lobbying group who influences politicians in Washington, D.C., and has basically had a hand in every piece of garbage anti-abortion legislation since 1971. Anyway, like I said, Catherine Glenn Foster told this absurd lie under oath as part of the public record last year. And this is the kind of gross out info she uses as justification for crafting and handing over model legislation for the extremists in office to just sign into law. Hold up. Okay, model legislation is today's vocabulary phrase. Now, model legislation is when special interest groups like lobbyists and, and Americans United for Life write specific legislation that benefit their clients like corporations, the NRA, blah, blah, blah. And then they hand over the legislation to state legislators, state senators all over the country who they have handsomely donated to. And those legislators in turn sign their name to the bill straight up, no changes, and push it through their 
state senators. That's why you see so many of the exact same abortion bans, anti-CRT bans, drag bans sweeping the nation. It's a mess. Something else to know about Catherine with a C. Before heading AUL, she worked with the Alliance Defending Freedom for seven years. ADF is the legal group that fought to end Roe, marriage equality, and is currently leading the case against the abortion pill. They're essentially the anti-ECLU. You know, all of this smoji makes me think, is it really maple trees burning or is it the fetuses that are powering the state of New York? <laughs> hmm. Is that Inquiring minds it might be what we're breathing. I don't know. <laughs> but I actually feel conflicted because I'm all for clean energy resources. So like, I don't know why it would be bad. But also I really am for stem cell research. So my point is it's not happening, but like, would it be the worst? Please send your letters to Moji all the way down. (laughs) (laughs) You cannot have both. It's important in our podcast to remind folks that these hate merchants are all the same people working towards a terrible future. And we need to be working together against them. And that Moji is the perfect transition to our first guest. And our biggest story of the week. Joining us now is Webby Award-winning host of Under the Desk News on TikTok and Insta. With over 3 million followers across social platforms, they have become a major source of news and info for an entire generation of young folks. Please welcome one of my favorite people that are breathing in smoky air, <laughs> V Spear. V! Hi. Oh my goodness. Thank you for joining us. We were lamenting at the top of the show how sad we are that we are not hugging and having just general frivolity with you in person. I know it's devastating. It's devastating. Canada again. Can't trust them. The maple trees. (laughs) The audacity. (laughs) The audacity. We asked you to pick a story that gave you the biggest gut punch this week. And as it happened, it was the same one we've been following. So Mm. will you tee the story up for everyone? Yes. So I, for a person who's never had an abortion myself, never had sex with a man myself, never at risk of abortion, spend an awful lot of time reading about it and fighting for it so that you can get one whenever you want, wherever you want. And so I was reading these stories about women who didn't necessarily want an abortion, but very much needed one and now can't get one because of these terrible laws that uh, did not include any kind of humanity when they were being written. And so the story that struck me this week in particular was that of Mayron Hollis, who is a married lady down in Tennessee. She had just had a child and was very surprised to find out just a couple weeks, couple months after her the birth of her first child, that she was pregnant again and very excited to be pregnant again and found out that the pregnancy was actually ectopic and it had implanted in her cesarean scar, which I did not even know was possible. I did not know that either. Yeah, I have a cesarean scar and I did not know it until the story either. And I'm horrified, but also not reproducing any longer. So yeah, I was, I mean, just things you never thought of that could happen. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. I was very interested in that. Um, And she and her husband had a conversation because unfortunately they are victims of misinformation also and thought that an ectopic pregnancy could potentially become a viable child at some point, which is not typical. It is, that is very, uh, not something that we should be running off of. And so they had waited and waited and waited and um, eventually had made the decision that because this pregnancy was going to put her life in such incredible danger, um, they would have to move forward with seeking abortion care, which had been offered to them, but now they were too late for. So... They suggested that this couple go up to Pennsylvania. They said, we can't get the time off of work, something we can all relate to. We can't afford that cost. 
And so they didn't know what to do. So they're just waiting and waiting and waiting. So they wanted this child um, and had delayed care. And unfortunately, the ectopic pregnancy started to cause issues with the bladder. It went into like her uterine wall. She was admitted to the hospital. IVs in both arms of blood transfusions, trying to keep her alive, trying to be able to deliver this baby. They delivered the baby at the absolute last possible second where this child could be even potentially viable. The child spent months in intensive care. Um, and as a result of this, she did have to have a hysterectomy, which was not ideal because this is a woman who wanted more children. And so while they were able to have this child, she said it was one of the hardest pregnancies she could ever possibly imagine. She was sick a great deal of the time. It truly is a once in a million miracle. This is not something we should be counting on ever happening again. And I can already hear a lot of people on the right and conservatives saying, well, this is one time miracle. Why couldn't we do this every time? This is why we should believe that ectopic pregnancies are viable. This is not going to happen again. This was very rare. Um, and that child has been in and out of the hospital basically every two weeks. One story that I read about the infant was they were on the way to the hospital. They almost didn't make it. Uh, a police officer had to like give this infant CPR on the hood of the car. So, you know, one of my first thoughts in this story via something you mentioned, which is the right is going to declare this a victory. Sure. But any, an ectopic pregnancy will grow to a certain point and then kill you. That is what the nature of ectopic pregnancies are. And the placenta ruptured in her body. Mm -hmm. And so when we talk about a victory, also they don't know the developmental ramifications of this child and what this child ha has gone through. And I think it's important to remember or to remind people that when we talk about pregnancy development and like we talk about trimesters, that is a made up political term. Trimesters are not medical. Trimesters are made up by the Supreme Court during Roe v. Wade. And so viability of a fetus, it's like adolescence. You can't really pinpoint when it is, which is why a doctor needs to always be making the decision when it comes to intervening in pregnancies, because you know, some people get their period at 10 and some people get their period at 17. And pregnancy is very much like that when it comes to development. And so that's why abortion should be accessible all the time at every gestational point, because you never know when someone's going to need one because everyone's different. Also, I want to say, because it, it wasn't ectopic pregnancy, which I didn't realize cesarean scars pregnancies were considered an ectopic pregnancy. And this, again, and just to reiterate, when you hear that word, it just means that the pregnancy is not happening where it should happen. And mm -hmm. most of the times it's in the fallopian tube where like it won't even develop past like six or seven or eight weeks and rupture and cause hemorrhaging and also like compromise people's fertility. So also like puberty, like pregnancy, the word ectopic means a bunch of things and you got to get a doctor who went to school to get in there and like figure out what the standard of care should be. Just such an incredibly scary thing to happen, such an unusual thing to happen. And even for this couple to have gone through the idea of we're going to move forward with abortion care. We can't afford abortion care. Now we can't have additional children. She's going to live with this medical issue for the rest of her life. The child that was born has limited lung capacity. There are a lot of issues there as well. And it's just like such a heartbreak that we can't guide people in a more just kind and empathetic way. I appreciated that V that they'd mentioned that 
this person was pregnant, then abortion became illegal as an option for them in their state. So no one cares where you're at gestationally, what's going on. Like the law literally starts, the the timer starts the minute that law goes down and just the callousness, then our bodies get treated. And I also wanted to flag not knowing additional about this particular person, but we know there's certain communities that cesarean sections get pushed on at much faster, harder rates in communities that Mm -hmm. don't get listened to. So -hmm. then if that same community is at risk for a more complicated, a different type of pregnancy farther along, that this medical care that they received at an earlier point puts them at, those folks automatically are going to be at higher rates of, of harm during their pregnancy. So we're already setting people up for this failure based on class, race, gender, within the medical industrial complex. And now we're going to say, oh, cool, you're having an Irish twin. We probably could have predicted that, right? But we didn't tell you this. We didn't give you the tools or resources. And in the course of you being pregnant, the law has changed in your home state mm-hmm. and in a myriad of ways, right? We're just talking about pregnancy. Like, what if this was a queer person in Tennessee trying to get life-saving care during their pregnancy? I love to quote Adam Serwer saying, you know, the cruelty is the point. And every time we tell one of these stories and we break down what these bans are, it really does hammer that point home because the cruelty is the point. Mm -hmm. 100% Liz. You can find articles relating to all of these stories in the show notes and get the best, most up to the minute info on accessing abortion care and funding it at INeedAnA.com. So we get to keep V because we're going to transition a little bit because who doesn't want to get to know V? I think we all want to get to know V. I feel like V, you are out there giving everyone life. And then we all want to know, like, what makes you tick? So, I mean, you were obviously not the fantastic V helping the world understand hard stuff all the time. At one mm-hmm. point, you were a fancy ass event planner in Tampa, New York, <laughs> and DC. And having worked in hospitality myself, I know that we get the best dirt. And you, have planned some like big ass parties for dope ass powerful people. So my question is, can you give us some kind of story, maybe about an event you did with some like fancy ass people (laughs) where you had to somehow, and I guess I'm really going into my like, this is what happens in the movies, you know, when someone has to save the day at a wedding or something, where Mm -hmm. you like came in and problem solved like a massive event and you were like, mic drop, that thing wouldn't have gone off without me. So many times that has happened. And I really think like my career in hospitality prepared me for a career in journalism and in just like being a communicator because it is such a complicated, you have to make decisions that don't make sense, but do make a party so often. (laughs) And so the one decision that I had to make that stands out to me right now was when I was uh, the caterer for the 2012 RNC for Mitt oh Romney. God. I did all of his catering. The one he lost to uh, Barack Obama? Yes. Yes, that that's <laughs> the one. I got. I was working in New York and uh, I got tapped to do this project and I was like, are you sure you want me? And they were like, yeah, you do great parties. I was like, okay, great. And so I went down to Tampa and we were planning, you know, you're picking venues and you're picking menus and it, all that kind of stuff is very fun and easy. There was a Democratic mayor who was really helping us with everything along the line. And then we came into a problem that nobody had ever heard of before. And that is the fact that Mitt Romney is Mormon and a very wholesome character. And Tampa has more strip clubs per capita than any other city in the world. And so we really could not uh, have anticipated picking Tampa as the RNC location and having this extremely wholesome character that was going to be the 
the candidate. Are you saying because that's possibly that some Republicans may be wanting to go to some of these establishments that aren't as wholesome as Mitt Romney? Yes. Yes, I am. So we were sitting at the table and we were talking about, you know, enrichment and entertainment outside of what you do when you're at the convention, which you're at the convention all day, but then there's all different types of parties and lobbying and stuff that happens. And so one of the things they were concerned with is the Republicans do carry a very young audience. And Mitt Romney had a pretty young audience and a very rich audience. And so their concern was we can't have TMZ and everyone else outside of Mons Venus or outside of Oz or outside of Odyssey (laughs) or any of uh, the wonderful strip clubs that they have in Tampa. And if you're in Tampa, I do 10 out of 10 recommend stopping by. They are phenomenal. And I was like, okay, well, I don't, I don't typically contract for the, you know, for that. So I wouldn't be in charge of those venues. (laughs) And they were like, but you're the youngest person here. And so everyone else feels awkward and you're going to figure it out. And I was friends with a lot of the girls who worked in these clubs. So I talked to the girls and um, they were, you know, expressing their concerns that this was also a very big weekend for them. And that a lot of the clubs were counting on this revenue and, and, you know, they weren't necessarily going to participate in shutting down for the week, if that made sense. So they're all pretty much owned by this guy, Joe Redner. His son is Joey Redner, who owns Cigar City Brewing, which was like in its infancy then. And so I was talking to Joey and I was like, do you think we can get the old man, which is what we call them, to like do limited hours? Can we do back office? Can we do anything? And he was like, absolutely not. My dad's never going to say no to this money. Like, this is part of why we wanted you guys to come here. And I was like, okay, great. So Every one of the delegates was housed at these three different hotels in St. Pete. And we had delegate buses for them, like big, you know, Greyhound or Ambassador buses. And so me and Joey were like, if they don't go to the club, then they won't be seen outside the club. But they didn't say anything about putting girls on the buses. And so we just organized that there would be strippers on the delegate buses so that nobody got in trouble. Nobody was outside the club. Everybody got to make money. Everybody got to have a nice time and enjoy the best of Tampa. And that was my greatest contribution to the RNC. And I believe the NDA just ran out like last year for that. It was a wonderful time. And you couldn't really tell unless you were dealing with one of the girls at the St. Pete hotels who was like telling you which buses to get on because some we're going to the Tampa theater to watch a movie that night. And some were just going to drive around town and look at the lights. So were they just like dancing in the buses? And then that's what happens. That's that's for another show. It's not my business. What happens on the bus? (laughs) My job. It's really not mine either. My job was to make sure that the Republicans weren't (laughs) photographed outside the clubs. And that was where my job started and ended. Wow. And now you've just ended your career as ever being a caterer for any Republican convention. I've never told any of the tales of my catering jobs until today. Today's the day we ruined the, the past. Yeah. That story is so much fun because you are like one of the <laughs> kindest people I know. So I can just see you being like, well, let's figure this out. I was so young. <laughs> I was like, I just want everyone to have a really good time. I love you got people paid. Oh, yeah. Too. Yes. Like, yes. like, hey, we're going to, the sex work is work and yep. you're going to pay these folks for it. Yes. Like, that in and of itself. How many 28 year olds can claim that? So that story is awesome, V. Thank you so much for sharing. Such a good story. V, you have. Three million people watch you give news updates under your desk every day. But you started on TikTok doing culinary videos. So how did you go from that to to news? Like, how did you end up under the desk? And before you answer that, I just have to sidebar and say that under the stove would be a terrible TikTok channel. No, that would not. It would be like under the broiler, maybe. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Under the heat lamp. Under the heat lamp. Oh, my God. I'm just dying out there waiting for somebody to pick me up. Yes. 
so I, like I said, I worked in catering and fine dining. I was working for the James Beard Foundation as the director of impact right before the pandemic hits. When the pandemic hit, I, like many other people, downloaded TikTok and just started trying to like talk to people and entertain myself. And my friend John Kung was doing cooking videos and my other friend Matt was doing them. Um, and Matt was getting really, really, really big at this. And I was trying to explain the PPP loans to the chefs who were not watching me because they were also home watching TikTok. So I used to make like really ridiculous hamburgers and like outrageous cooking videos, but I'd be telling you like how to apply for the shuttered venue license, how to get your PPP money. Like these are the best at 95s or like whatever I'm throwing butter over my shoulder. And so those became very popular as like education things. And then it was actually January 6th. I was working um, with the VA of Tennessee to try and figure out how we were going to get food to veterans during this time. I looked up and I'm seeing CNN in the background and I'm like, from my days in catering in Washington, D.C., I was like, oh, oh, that's bad. They're not supposed to be in this hallway. The things they were showing were like very un unusual to me, just stuff that you would never do. And so I was like, they're in places they're not supposed to be in. And that was like from my catering mind. And so I got under my desk because so many people are asking me like, B, what's going on? Do you remember from the Capitol? Why are they here? How do they get in the speaker's office? What are they doing next? And so I got under the desk and I was kind of like, no, they're not supposed to be anywhere. And what they can do right now is talk to Mike Pence. Mike Pence, you should invoke the 25th Amendment. This is what it means. It doesn't mean you're stepping on Trump's toes. You could be president for 14 days. That would be so wonderful. This is probably your only chance to be president. And so I made this funny video about the 25th Amendment and it went super viral. And my friend Randy was like, through the rest of that week, she was like, you better get back under that desk and tell people what's happening now. And that just sort of evolved into explaining civics and history and politics and government. And then that went into the LA Times hired me to start their TikTok account. And that's when I really started doing the news every single night. We are so grateful that you're doing that. Like I'm the schoolhouse yes. rock generation and I can like, it. that's a great stepping stone. But like, I feel like you kind of took that and ran with that. You're like, hey, you've heard some of these things. I want you to learn more. And we're a huge, we are huge proponents of information awareness. You need to know what's going on in the world. So we have to ask you, especially about the TikTok yeah. ban. How real is the threat of a federal ban like this? How scary might that be for you? And what do you want our listeners to be aware of? So initially I was really scared about the TikTok ban because I think the government is, you know, it's big and scary and anything is possible and they can make anything work that they want. Um, TikTok is definitely a place where people organize better than any other platform I can think of. It's a place where people can go for truth, for first person stories, for citizen journalism. And a lot of that was replacing not just cable news and legacy newspapers, but also the sort of top down information that we get from the government from time to time. And so I was actually extremely concerned about the money and the possibilities that were behind the TikTok ban because of the way that TikTok affects traditional revenue streams for some of these more powerful people, right? Like who's going to buy ads mm. on Fox when you could just get somebody from Turning Points TikTok to do something for like 500 bucks for you or whatever, you know, or who's going to buy ads on CNN when you can get a political influencer for two grand to do something amazing. And so I, I was very concerned about that. And then I attended the hearings and I was no longer concerned. I... I was not concerned, and not just because the hearing was so just like comically, ridiculously unprepared, but I intentionally went and sat behind show two because I had made TikToks with many of the Congress people that were on that committee. And I wanted them when they looked at him to look at me and remember that I represented their constituents and oftentimes how they got that seat because of TikTok and Gen Z yes. and millennials really putting a lot of those people ahead in the votes. And so I wanted them to remember, like, these things are connected um, in my own little, like, I don't know, 
that's as threatening as I get. I sit somewhere. So I'm just sitting there in my teal suit. Like <laughs> That's important because, you know, when Colin Powell had to speak before the UN and say there's mustard gas and cite a litany of bullshit to the UN about the dangers of Iraq, he forced, you know, the guy who wrote everything for him to say to sit behind him. So if it was ever proven that it wasn't true, you know, they had to see that person. So you're doing the opposite thing, but in the same way, it's like, remember I'm the friendly face, mm -hmm. I'm TikTok. Like, mm -hmm. Don't let them tell you who TikTok is. I'm TikTok. You did it with me. It was me and the 5 million small businesses that are on there and the communities that have been built and just the way that people trauma bonded through the pandemic and really got to know each other and became more connected than we've ever been. And so I met with Kirsten Gillibrand, who is the New York senator. She's my senator. So I met with her team and I was like, if you do this, if you support the Restrict Act, which people are calling the Patriot Act 2.0, mostly because when I read it, I told them it sounds like the Patriot Act 2.0 and other people agreed. And so then that became the line. You're going to get primaried and you're just going to, that's not even a threat. That's like something I'm actually very scared for, for you because People don't like this government overreach. They, We all have feelings about 9-11 and the way that we reacted to that big threat, right? That was the last time we had like a big threat from a foreign nation. And we gave over all the access to telecommunications and people are like, it feels like they want to do that with the internet now. I'm like, if you support the Restrict Act, the way it's written, it's so poorly written, you're going to have a really hard time. And I don't want to, like, I genuinely don't want to see this happen. And they were like, well, we have some security intel that you don't know. And I was like, you should tell me because I'm a really good communicator. And if there is something super dangerous, I don't care if I have 3 million followers. I would never put, I love those people. I wouldn't put them in danger. I would find something else to do. I always do. Like if it's not TikTok, it'll be something else. So you should tell me so I can help you tell them if they're in danger. And they didn't have anything. And then I met with AOC and she was like, actually, we've never had a national security briefing for the Senate or for Congress. Now, each senator has their own foreign you know, policy people and their own security specialist. She's like, we've never had a briefing on uh, there being any kind of security issue for TikTok. I think one of the things that makes you so important is that very thing. They will just say things with confidence and it's not true. We have no research to back this up. Seems to be the rule of the day. Yeah. Yeah. And AOC then made a TikTok shortly after saying that same thing she said to me. She said that she doesn't see um, there being a ban and that off, a lot of people in Congress backed off of the Restrict Act after the hearings, after Mark Warner wasn't able to really defend it that well. It needs rewriting. Do we need data privacy? Absolutely. We should be using the things they're doing in the UK and Canada as some templates that are working really well. But there's a very fine line between data privacy and government control and lack of democracy. And if you're going to be a Democrat, you can't come out here and say, well, we're going to ban TikTok and not recognize just the absolute assault on democracy and free speech that that would be. And so I feel very strong that they're not going to ban TikTok. There's also like what they're doing in Montana with trying to ban it. There's no way to geofence TikTok to just certain states. So that's kind of just a waste of everybody's time and some grandstanding. And then the little ace in my back pocket here was bringing forth not just the small business owners, not just the community activists, but the fact that active duty military families use TikTok to stay in touch with their members. And there was a whole bunch of my veterans and active duty followers who were like, if they took this away, I wouldn't see my husband. I, my kids would not see their mom because they play back and forth on TikTok. They can use TikTok to sort of stay in touch with the day-to-day. -day. And then the religious folks came out hard and were like, we built online ministries during the pandemic. And if you were to destroy and just 
you know, cut off TikTok, then you would essentially be separating us from our flock in a way that we could not recover. And so there's a lot to think about here. Everybody's got a different angle as to why this platform is most important to them and why we can't just go to meta platforms. And so until they kind of work out what does data privacy genuinely look like, then saying something like we're going to ban TikTok because China just makes you look very dated in your rhetoric, very 1980s, very red scare and very icky. And millennials and Gen Z don't like that. And they vote the most. So like, don't be icky. It's very new Coke. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's starry. (laughs) Well, V, you are a national treasure. And (laughs) it was so fun to finally have you on the pod after you've had me on your pod, which we're going to plug away. V, interesting on Lemonada Media. Please subscribe and listen to that podcast. It's incredible. Follow V on TikTok and Instagram at Under the Desk News and on Twitter at to spear all of that will be in our show notes v when we do this live you will be back let's all send up some good oxygen to the clouds and say fuck canada for a hot minute oh, uh, and those maple <laughs> those evil maple trees just fuck the wildfires canada's canada fine right. fuck the wildfires yeah you're right that's fair uh v thank you so much thank you for having me always a joy to see you well as you know we couldn't do this show without the help of our fake sponsors moji Introduce us to the amazing fake product that is supporting this week's episode. You'd probably be shocked if I told you there's a victim of fetal identity theft every three seconds in the United States. That's because it's not true yet. So get prepared with Pro-LifeLock. With Pro-LifeLock, you'll be ready when the Supreme Court officially steals your identity and transfers it to your pregnancy. Your personhood may be gone, but your credit rating is still in the not yet developed handbuds of your preborn. And ProLifeLock wants to be there to protect your financial health if your fetus uses your identity to rack up thousands of dollars of credit card debt in your name. ProLifeLock is essential protection when you become a victim of fetal identity theft. If your fetus goes rogue, ProLifeLock has expert-adjacent law people standing by with internet advice to help you recoup your losses. For as low as $99 a month, we will cover $500 of your personal assets up to nine months or the limits of your pregnancy, whichever comes first. Not pregnant yet? Don't wait till it's too late. Get ProLifeLock now. You'll get peace of mind knowing you're protecting yourself from your future potential fetal identity thief. Pro-Life Lock, protecting you from a data breach birth. Oh, hand buds. <laughs> yeah. That's just uncomfortable. I don't like it. Also, it's just weird. How do you have fingers on your hand buds? Also, it sounds like if somebody's stealing your nutrients and stealing your identity, that feels like a, a life of the mother exception that I would be immediately introducing <laughs> into legislation. <laughs> Nah, parasitic fetuses is the standard. Oh my God, (laughs) it's too much. Okay, okay, it's time to get our activism on. Our next guests are members of New York City for Abortion Rights, a righteous feminist collective who fight for full abortion and reproductive justice. Please welcome Safi and Hinny. Hey. Hey. Hi. Uh, We are so excited to have you both here. We think it's really important for our listeners in New York and many sitters considered abortion positive or liberal to understand that anti-abortion forces are also active in your community and that we all need to be out in these streets defending abortion access. 
And these are the reasons um, why New York City for Abortion Right was formed. So before we get into your amazing actions, explain what you witnessed outside of Planned Parenthood that led to your organization forming. Essentially, you have two groups. You have Witness for Life and Love Life. These are two anti-abortion groups that do a lot. So essentially, these both groups, they harass and intimidate patients. So Witness for Life tends to be across the street. And I just want to say, imagine you're going to a clinic, you're minding your business, and you see 150 people across the street. That's what the scene looks like every first Saturday of the month. And they spit on us. They tell us we're murderers and we're going to hell. And they're just shameless. They, they're just... Part of Witness for Life is a person named Bernadette Patel. She impersonates clinic escorts, and she'll wear the same pink vest that the clinic escorts actually wear literally tracking people down from the subway stations to try to prevent them from getting an abortion when they're also just making the assumption that every time everyone enters this clinic, they're getting an abortion when folks go there for like help, just general health care. Like, honestly, a lot of us in New York City for abortion rights are patients at this clinic as well. This is our clinic. So like a lot of ISO, DSA, like local uh, groups here decided well, we'll do a counter protest. So we had a giant protest. And after that, uh, we started a Facebook group, just sort of evolved into what it is today with the monthly clinic defense. And we're doing tabling events and talking about self-managed abortions and how to, how to do that safely, that kind of thing. So I think it's important for listeners to understand that Witness for Life didn't just like show up out of nowhere uh, at this Planned Parenthood's. They're invited to speak by Catholic churches in Brooklyn and Manhattan that are both just blocks away from the Planned Parenthood. And once a month, these churches have a mass dedicated to the unborn. And then after, they walk on moss, if you will, over to the clinic to protest. Once y'all figured this out, you started this amazing counteraction that involves meeting them at the church, trying to slow their roll and block them from ever getting to the Planned Parenthood. Can you uh, talk a little bit about that action? So they have a mass at around like eight and about 930, they'll exit out of the church. They have all these flags, this weird like um, blue and pink flag that has baby feet on it all these signs, a giant cross. And normally we would just walk very slowly backwards as they're trying to move forward. And they only have access to the sidewalk. So we're all also on the sidewalk. So as many people as we have, we try to just remain on that sidewalk, slow them down. We've slowed them down for about 90 minutes before, well, 90 to 110 minutes before. And every minute we slow them down means like patients can access care without all this intimidation, without all this nonsense. As you're slowing them down, what are your what, what are your sweet sweet moves? What are your moves to <laughs> slow them? It's like marching um, in place, and the cops are saying, "Keep moving, keep moving," and we're like, "We're moving, we're moving," <laughs> you know. And uh, just like just take tiny little baby steps back when they actually like come up to you, but basically just standing in place and and. Uh, and they get really pissed off. <laughs> so that was always a joy to see. They also get an NYPD escort there. And are they being helpful, quote unquote? 
the cops are obviously not helpful. Basically, NYPD started putting around a lot more barricades. So they barricaded us from doing our normal normal thing, which is an infringement on our First Amendment right. And just because a witness for life gets a permit, that means with that permit, they get a police escort because they also picture themselves as a parade. And I don't know for y'all, but for me, this is the most sure thing I've ever heard because it's a procession, two blocks. <laughs> I, I never... <laughs> It is the worst parade I've ever seen. There's no floats. It's not fun. There's no clowns. And the size of clowns. Yeah. Zero candy. Yeah. So you don't want candy from a creepy priest either. They they throw little fetuses at you. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Or holy water. They love to throw liquids. So they're escorting these people straight to the clinic. They don't even uphold their own freaking laws. Like the FACE Act exists. But these people get to still remain in the literal proximity of the clinic. And I've been told, get get off the street of the clinic. I'm like, you tell them to get off the clinic first. Um, so it's things like that. Unfortunately, they have been brutalizing us for the past few months. They'll like tackle us. Uh, lately, it's the it's a specific group of, and honestly, not really. So NYPD terrorism unit, the SRG was a strategic response group, which is basically the unit that violates all protesters. You know, we love that apparently in New York. And when they arrested us, like literally, I think when they started putting all those barricades, they arrested someone for obstructing a barricade. Like that was an actual charge somebody got. Like that's how ridiculous it's been getting. And I think there are some like pro-life NYPD folks that are just definitely in support of Witness for Life. And honestly, we've been having our asses handed to us, which not the greatest time in the world, but obviously we're NYC for abortion rights. So we're going to show up every damn month. And um, not unfortunately, but we're smart. We know how to shift our tactics. And it's like, okay, that's not giving. What we're going to do is we're going to do something else. So what we've been doing lately is we started just like this month tabling. to like, it's like, okay, we can't even do our normal blockade that we have been doing for years, by the way. Mm. then we're going to just continue to inform the neighborhood. And like we've been tabling mostly in front of that of the church of Old St. Pat's and the people will sign our thing and like, yeah, I hate what they're doing. And then they'll walk inside because that's their church. (laughs) On this last clank defense, we had the two tables up and people were flying and and they are like, you know, yeah, I, I've seen you guys out here. I never knew what it was. And, you know, and like, what the hell is going on? You don't like all this noise in the morning? You don't think, you think we want to be here at eight in the morning? Absolutely not. But look what's happening. You might want to complain to community board too. Let them know like, hey, this is not okay. Please stop this nonsense. We're living in New York City. How can, how can this be happening And you know, us was the progressive city. And, you know, just because we're a blue state doesn't mean we don't get the same shitty people that are in red states that are uh, fucking with people's rights there, too. Oh, I was going to say, we're not the sanctuary state we think we are. And we're not the progressive state we think we are, because I've been doing some legislative stuff on my own. And listen, trying to pass legislation in this state, a mess, especially with folks like uh, Mayor Eric Adams. If if you're going to claim to be all this shit, this safe haven, the sanctuary, as you said, Henny, then you we have to be that. Let's be that. So I think joining your work and and the work of Abortion Access Front can help you 
in in empower somebody so that they can have their full liberation. So thank you for all you do. Um, your incredible organization. And we'll put the links to everything and all your plugs in our show notes. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Safi and Henny. You can follow NYC for Abortion Rights at NYC for Abortion Rights on Instagram and at NYC for Abortion on Twitter. We will put all our info in the show notes. And now it's time for the party game that's faster than Monopoly and more fun than taboo, Six Degrees of Abortion. This is the game where Moji and Marie take a story from the news and I have six chances to link it somehow to abortion. Let's see if they can stump me this week. What do you got, friends? Marie, this is your last one. Make it a goodie. So Moji, ever up on the superheroes and the pop culture and the fun stuff? Uh, I dragged my whole family, um, or rather we all were, there was no dragging. We were all excited to go see the newest of the Spider-Verse intros this weekend. Um, And those are great. They're like animated uh, spider movies. They're fucking fantastic. This one was fucking fantastic. There were like so many uh, spider people of so many ethnicities and races and genders. It was a fucking great time. But one really wonderful standout actor in the movie was Oscar Isaac. You may have heard of him. He's so hot. Yeah, he's so fucking hot. Anyway, he was a stand-up actor in the Spider-Verse movie this weekend. And so we would like you to just spend six tries linking uh, one of America's greatest treasures (laughs) to abortion. Uh, I will. That's kind of good. Um, And I think I can. So... I don't know much about this guy, but I do know that he was in a Star Wars movie. Yeah, this is true. And Mark Hamill is Luke Skywalker. And Luke Skywalker was uh, literally for three hours at an abortion access front fundraiser, painted paintings and a stormtrooper helmet uh, for donations and charity. And I hosted that event. And so me to... Mark Hamill to hottie Oscar Isaac equals six degrees of abortion. That's just three degrees of abortion. Yeah. And you are absolutely I know. correct. He is so good looking that it feels <laughs> like it should be yeah. um, legislated. It's inappropriate. <laughs> it's fully inappropriate, his hotness. I yeah, agree yes. 100%. And he should be responsible to in in the whole situation, right? You're not to control your own actions. I mean, I feel like that's fair. You just, you just can't be yeah. controlled. How what when you when you put yourself before me, I am rendered useless and rendered incapable of, of judgment that is within legal limits. Listen, it works for Republican men. I say do it. God, you know, I could actually talk about that guy all day, but we have to transition to mm-hmm. another hot guy that we have coming up as an actual guest on our podcast, Murray. Our next guest is a comedian and actor who is having his moment on the hit HBO Max series, Somebody Somewhere. I'm sorry, it's no longer HBO Max, but it is still Moji's login I use to watch it. (laughs) He has stolen our hearts and is making us rethink Christianity as a safe space for queer folks. Please welcome Jeff Hiller. Jeff! Jeff! Hi, Jeff. Thank you for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me. We're so, so excited. It's a really exciting time to be talking with you. It's Pride. You are in a show delivering joy to millions of people in a time where joy is really a scarcity. And you're doing it in a role that's made for you. And you were just renewed for a third season. Yes. 
I'm very how, excited. Yeah. How is how is it going? You must be feeling everything everywhere all at once. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, somebody did come up to me and go, I love that show, somebody somewhere all at once. Um <laughs> And then somebody else came up to me and said, hey, nobody nowhere. <laughs> That's pretty good, actually. Yeah, it was. <laughs> that was sweet. <laughs> How are you doing? I'm I'm great. I'm I, I I'm very excited about that. I'm, you know, not excited about the world and, and all of the sad things that are happening in it, but I am super excited about that show. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's really great. I know it's like you're living your moment, except for right now in your very moment, we are having this weird fire uh, thing that is like, uh, like it's the icing on the shit cake. It's I like, know. oh, wow. Uh, people are doing terrible things. And then the fires from Canada, like. It just seems like. Every six months since 2016, there's just like another just smack <laughs> across the face. But also like unexpected, like, oh, this will never, what the fuck? <laughs> Every time I'm like, well, that couldn't, oh God, it could. <laughs> I know. Well, also like, you know, nature is just not fucking having it anymore yeah. either. It's like, you have fucked me harder than most anything else. And so now I'm just going to retaliate. Yeah. yeah. Oh, you have lungs? Isn't that cute? <laughs> exactly. This is just like Angela Bassett and waiting to exhale. Yes. <laughs> Throwing things in the microwave. She's like New York. <laughs> yes, exactly. New York. hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah, your character, Joel, in this show that we have misnamed five times in four <laughs> <Yeah>. minutes <laughs> is a queer Christian living in Kansas, just kind of trying to figure it out. And what I love, one of the things I love is like the community of this town seems nonplussed by anyone's gayness. Was that written on purpose? Similar to how in Schitt's Creek, they also just refuse to make homophobia exist in their small town. Yeah, I mean, I think there are like very tiny moments, and um, I don't think that the 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 idea is that that um, this is just this magical place. But it is Kansas, so we exactly, know that right, right, exactly. <laughs> and I, but I do think the idea is like it's sort of revolutionary to show uh, queer people, trans people, who are joyful and yeah. not not uh, not constantly being persecuted. Because I think we have seen that story. I think, I mean, I think that's an important story to, sh to show. I mean, it's it's something that's real, but I think that um, it's also important to show queer people just being, you know, people. <laughs> I feel like sometimes in like marginalized communities, I feel like in media, there's this almost, it's like, we gotta be real. And it's like, do we gotta show suffering all the time? Like we right. don't actually, it's kind of nice to like, Live in our joy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, Asa Ray said that, you know, when she launched Insecure, she was like, I just want to show Black folks having love, eating, having joy, having yeah. heartache, and having it all just be in the community of how we do it, you know? And I think that, I think that that is pretty awesome to, to, to watch. And you've been all over the media and sort of like <laughs> re seeing every, everything you're doing. It's, Every single person has been asking you about your Christianness and your queerness to a point where I feel like you're kind of the ambassador of white Christian <laughs> queer people. And I'm like, and I always wonder when, when somebody. That's ironic, by the way, that is crazy that that's what happened. <laughs> but it's so funny because it's always like, is Jeff okay? Like, is that, is that good? Is that cool? Are you happy to be the ambassador? Like, white, you know, like, how is that role now? Because. With great power, Jeff. 
<laughs> comes great responsibility. Oh God, I don't think I have any responsibility. I um, I think when I read the script, I was like, I know this person. I know them personally. You know, I know several people who are like this person, and uh, and I really know how to play it. And uh, and I never I've seen any one like I've never seen a queer person like that on on TV before. So I I love that. You know, yeah, I think maybe sometimes it comes across as if I'm like. Church is great. Everybody go to church. And I, I, that is not my, that was my, not my intent. <laughs> um, you know, it's like what we were talking about before. It's like, there's a lot of nuance. There's a lot of, um, you know, there are some churches that are terrible. And then there are some that are really Wait, good. Wait, what? <laughs> after, after your last guest. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but, you know, your last guest was talking about the people that were going into that church after they signed the petition. And and I think that there are like really good people who are, who are also churchgoers um, and who are, are empathetic and, and believe in social justice too. Mm-hmm. Jeff, we wanted to acknowledge that we're really happy about you showing up on our little old podcast here because a mutual dear friend, Murray Hill connecting all of us. Yay, yeah. Murray. <laughs> Cheering past past the burning forest fires over Murray. (laughs) And I wanted to dovetail off of Liz's exploration of Christianity to talk to you about how a lot of folks had to wrestle with their Christianity and then their abortion stance. And Mm. I wondered if you had a particular abortion evolution at all, so to speak. You know, I grew up with a a really, I was going to say a really feminist mom. She wasn't sort of like, um, you know, she was that that sort of 1980s feminist, (laughs) you know, where it was like, I'm super all about women doing everything, but I'm never going to be like claiming the mantle of feminism. Yeah. But one thing she really was vocal about was that, that access to abortion was always important. So it, it, in my family, at least it was never, I mean, it's not like it wasn't taboo. I I mean, I I don't, we weren't talking about like, you know, with the cousins at Christmas or anything, but I think that uh, for me and my family, that that feels integrated. And my mom was also mm-hmm. super Christian. Like we went to church every Sunday. When we were on vacation, we went to church. Were you brought up Catholic? Lutheran. Oh, mm. I'm from Minnesota, which is the Lutheran oh, yes. police state. And Marie is also Lutheran. Oh, yes. Liz is a strong word, Liz, but sure. <laughs> <laughs> this is doing a lot of work in that statement. <laughs> I went to a Lutheran grade school in Janesville, Wisconsin. Not wow. not Paul Ryan went to the Catholic grade school down the street from me. So not at the same time. I'm younger than Paul Ryan. Um, but I, I can definitely also relate to, yeah, the evangelical Lutheran stronghold on Christianity and what it does to it. Yeah. And yet I have friends who are pastors. I have a, a, a dear friend who sadly just passed away way too early, but she had this great podcast called Pissed Off Pastor. And it was all about how God calls us to uh, love one another and to serve one another. And so this idea of othering and 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 oppressing and marginalizing mm-hmm. is is bullshit. That's not yes. that's not what the idea of Christianity is. No, you should be a helper if you're a pastor. That is what you should be doing first yeah. and foremost. If you're not doing that, you have no business doing other things especially not homophobic things and beyond. 
It's yeah. true. And you know, it's like in the work that we do, it is just relentless and constant. We just embrace all the monikers, you know, they call us pro-abortion witches, you know, it's great. So then we have, we cast spells on them. They think we're casting spells. We have literally, Jeff. That is funny that witch would be considered an witch. insult. I'm like, but hey, wouldn't yeah. be a witch? <laughs> yeah. But we've also just like, we've also stood in front of them when they're protesting and mm. just literally taken phrases from like the Game of Thrones book in Dothraki and just said them in like projecting them out. And then they go back to their blogs and they're like, the witches were speaking their satanic tongue. And it's like, or just George R.R. R. Martin's tongue, you know, whatever, however you want to. But yeah, you're right. I mean, I think that those who are religious and who are progressive need to be amplified and louder because the, the voice of the horrible people just seems to dominate the narrative so much. It's true. I know. But let's talk about something super fun. So, oh my God, you were in Silence the Musical. I saw <laughs> Silence the Musical and I loved it so much. So for those of you who don't know, there was an off-Broadway musical done that was a musical version of Silence of the Lambs. Satirical is a key part of this. Yeah. Very yeah. Key. <laughs> this is what we're going to get flagged for. <laughs> Nothing else. When we were talking about what we were going to talk to you about and we're kind of looking at your, you know, your IMDb and stuff. And I was like, oh my God, did anyone see this? And everyone's like, no. And I said, it was beautiful. And my favorite song was called If I Could Smell Your Cunt. And it was the <laughs> best most gorgeous song ever we're gonna put it in our show notes so you can hear it because it's gorgeous so what did you play i was trying to figure out what you played in it um i played um the the track that's called the lamb and so i was like basically everyone from the movie that you don't remember i was them <laughs> <laughs> you're a bit tall for that role thank you <laughs> Thank you. I don't know why I'm saying thank you. Um, but we like I I started out the show like with little hooves on my hands playing a um a, a, a lamb, and then um I'm the guy who throws my gum in her face. <laughs> it's a really crazy movie. It is. <laughs> and then I'm the one whose face gets eaten off. These kinds of characters. <laughs> so funny and when i saw it i don't know how many what year was it in too by the way just for reference for folks oh i did it in 2006 and then in okay. 2011 awesome you reprised your role nice. <laughs> yes, exactly <laughs> the grand the grand re return <laughs> <laughs> well the woman who played clarice i can't remember what year i saw it i saw it early on i saw it at ps 122 oh yeah Jen and, Harris. Um, Jen, she was so funny and she, she was is. doing this impression of Jodie Foster. She would just talk like this <laughs> in this hilarious accent. And I just remember dying with laughter um, and, and, and thinking more of this, please. And had it been, I think just a little bit later, it probably would have gone to Broadway like Book of Mormon or something else. Cause it was so fucking funny. Um, so thank you for being in silence and letting me rant on about it. Cause I love that. <laughs> I'm going to tell Jen where she's a good friend of mine. I'm going to tell her. Please. Jeff, you have a show coming up in New York at Joe's pub. Uh, it's called middle-aged ingenue stories about <laughs> life, love, and three buttholes. Are these five things connected in any way? Aren't they? Um, <laughs> that's the whole answer, but I'm going to need some more. <laughs> okay. The show is just a collection of stories. And as I was writing it, I was like, oh my God, 
God, I have two very long stories about buttholes. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, I have a third. And you know, rule of three. <laughs> yeah. Y'all are comedians. You get it. <laughs> Usually reserved for photography, but yes. <laughs> Triptych, whatever. <laughs> oh my God, I can't wait to hear about your uh, three butthole stories. I'm a parent and I have 20, but none of them are interesting. Trust me. <laughs> How the fuck did you have time to write a one-man show in the midst of all the other shit you're doing? I don't know. Well, you're you're assuming that it's fully written. Oh, yes. <laughs> you're right. That is a that is a you're right. August is months away. <laughs> rookie, rookie move on my part. Thank you. Uh, there could be more buttholes. Is that what you're telling us? Like yeah, exactly. This might be a six butthole show, depending on what my next two months are like. Uh, <laughs> I want you to know that sadly. None of these butthole stories lead to sex. They're all just <laughs> humiliating experiences. Sadly, my my stories have the same thing. <laughs> but also my, one of my favorite scenes on the show is the diarrhea scene and it involves a butthole. So I feel like it you're does. really good it's at buttholing. Two, there's, there's two buttholes in that story. Yeah, there's yeah. two buttholes in that story. And I was like cried with laughter because it was like, Back to back, like I watched Succession and I and there was the wasabi in the eyes and then the washing it out oh, with yeah. the curry scene. And then I I watched that episode and then I saw the buttholes and I was like the, the diarrhea and it was it's the greatest diarrhea scene in cinematic history. I'm just going <laughs> to put it out there. Well, thank you. Suck on that, dumb and dumber. <laughs> That's right. Uh, you know, diarrhea, like nobody's business. Good job. It was very authentic. Thank you. I, I could feel the cramping. I brought my personal experience to that. <laughs> I felt you did. Just like your Christianity, your That's diarrhea right. um, was very, very Meisner. Thank you. Yes. Thank you so much, Jeff, for joining us. This was awesome. Thank you. Really I had is. so much fun too. Oh my God. It's so great to be here. And we're going to plug all your stuff. And I, I cannot wait to come to Joe's pub and see you. And thank you for bringing us joy and realness and just being amazing. Well, thank you for all of the work y'all are doing. It, it's needed and necessary and we're grateful for it. Jeff, I also want to say your Instagram handle is one of my it's favorites. It's the best. I just keep um, <laughs> saying it to myself. I <laughs> know we kept saying Boom Boom Hillers. What time is Boom Boom Hiller coming on? Like we just <laughs> yeah, call you that now, like, like like we can. It flows off the lips. It flows off the lips. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you run like a, a dance hall in the 30s. Boom, boom, hilla. <laughs> Speaking of buttholes, somebody recently told me that their mom used to call taking a poop, taking a boom, boom. And that is not where I come from. Mine is from like, you know, the boom, boom room in the 60s. <laughs> Thank you. I'm like the boom, boom room at the standard. What are they talking about? <laughs> Thank you. Well, thank you for taking time. We really appreciate it. No problem. Thank you. Have a great night. Thank you. you. Have a great night. Bye. 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 You can find all things Jeff at hillertime.com and follow him on Instagram at boomboomhiller. Links to get tickets to Jeff's show at Joe's Pub in New York City can be found in our show notes as well. Boom, boom, Hiller. I cannot stop saying it. Um, and I also have to say that's our show, um, Marie. A grateful show. Thanks to you. You are the best. And farewell, my friend. Take us out. <laughs> Thank you so much to our guests, Jeff Hiller, V. Spear, and Safi and Henny from New York City for Abortion Rights. Thanks to you for listening. You can stay connected with us on social media at Abortion Front. 
And while you're there, open up your podcast app, find the Feminist Buzzkills pod, and be sure to like, subscribe, and show us some love with a five-star rating. Our next live show, our first live show... Is in Atlanta <laughs> at Terminal West on July 20th with the star of Netflix hit series, Grace and Frankie, comedian Baron Vaughn, and some incredible Atlanta abortion providers and activists. Need that ticket link? Of course, it's in the show notes. And don't miss our Dobbs anniversary show, June 23rd. Moji, tell us more about it. June 24th marks the one-year anniversary of the fall of Roe v. Wade, and your feminist buzzkills are doing a very special episode looking back on the hateful year the anti-abortion orcs hath wrought. That's right. We'll be joined by providers and activists who will explain the heartbreaking effects as these sadistic post-abortion bans continue to flood America. This special episode drops June 23rd wherever you get your podcasts. Shit's not awesome, but we got jokes and stuff you can do. Listen up. And join our Patreon. You'll support us, get cool FBK merch and experiences. All pledges support our pod and all the activism and abortion access front. Pledge at patreon.com slash feminist buzzkills. FBK is edited by Remy DeTournay and is produced by Abortion Access Front. Marie, take us home. Finally, this week we leave you with Fox News bot Harris Faulkner, a woman who shows her whole ass by being both transphobic and bad at grammar. <laughs> It's as though people on the left have more free time than anybody else. They want to acronym and pronoun us to death. We'll know this. The Lord has determined I am a woman, and my pronouns are U-S-A. Feminist Buzzkills, the podcast from Abortion Access Front. New episodes drop Friday. Listen, subscribe, give us five stars.